Hi, I'm Laura Keitlinger. Hi, I'm Daniel Webb. Our show is called What We Thought Would Happen, because calling it Broken Dreams is too depressing. <laughs> Daniel and I are getting to know each other as you're getting to know us. Do most people fun. become friends via podcast? Is that normal? I think so. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 here, does anybody do anything that isn't somehow monetized yeah, I or think whatever? That's exactly. friend you make that isn't the family pet or your parents friend's kid because there's always something wrong with that kid <laughs> it's always like a forced friendship right you're always like thrown in with somebody so there was a girl across the street from us there were two girls across the street in separate houses and one you wanted to play with and the other one you did not want to play with and i always got stuck with her the one you didn't <laughs> want to play with because i guess nobody really wanted to play with me either but she would steal from you right take things from your house Aww. and then you'd go to her house a couple days later and play and there would be your shit at her house and then she'd lie to you about it like she was such a bad friend I, she stole a stegosaurus stamp right no how many of those are rolling around the planet right and i was like i remember seeing i was like that's my stamp and she just she lied bolting to my face she was like no i bought that for you because i thought you wanted to what a bitch wow that's pretty quick thinking that's quick on her feet well she yeah she she was used to losing friends she, uh, <laughs> i know i bought that for you but we i guess she was really the only person that would play with me so i guess technically we were friends she's a congresswoman now <laughs> yeah she is a rabid maga supporting anti-vax uh babies <laughs> are racist yeah she's a congresswoman i remember my mom's friend's daughter we were both about eight and she was on the spectrum for sure before there was a spectrum <laughs> we were both on it um, and but she was more obviously on the spectrum i think than i was she bit her fingernails down to the quick that's scary that's yeah. not spectrum that's serial killer. i know and it's like what are you what are you stressed out about at eight you know we both, <laughs> we both have single moms who are broke and they include us in their stress what's there to be you know right. worried about that you would bite your nails down till till they bled hmm. and so I didn't want to play with her and I didn't want her touching my stuffed animals because I didn't want her to get blood on my stuffed animals and my things. <laughs> that's a legitimate concern. I mean, like as a child, that's all you have in your world are your stuffed animal friends. Um, and that was your mom's friend's daughter. Yeah. And did you like her? Not really, because she she came in bloody. So, <laughs> would y'all play? Like, what would y'all well, do when you were hanging really. out? Really, like when she stopped biting her nails, I think I would try and get us to go to the playground or something. So we were outside See, on the swings or something. Isn't there something? There's you, your parents can only do that to you till a certain age, right? And then you become somewhat sovereign that you like either both child realizes that you're not compatible or that you just you know hate each other into different things. Because <laughs> yeah. it was like right around like the first grade, the first friend that I ever like had had was this girl Singia. She sat behind me and would like always interrupt. She was super like kind of rude and abrasive to me. She tapped me on the shoulder and stuff. Kind of annoying girl vibes, like mm -hmm. leave me alone stuff. She taught me the word fart. Oh. She, yeah, she would swing me around. She was like a tomboy kind of. She'd swing me around on the playground and just let me go, right? And, mm -hmm. and she, you know, and like I'd swing into like the playground bars and things like that. <gasps> She'd just laugh her ass off. She's my best friend. I loved her. And then one day she said, I'm moving. And I was like, okay. And then the next day, gone. Aww. Never saw her again. She wasn't my first friend, but she just was a wild impact. Yeah. Um, she'd always say, somebody farted in the park. What? Yeah, that was how she taught me the word. She tapped me on the shoulder and she leaned up after recess and she whispered in my ear, somebody farted in the park. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then I got in trouble for laughing. She was my, she was so fun. Oh. Yeah. But Miss Turner was a bitch. Oh. No laughing. But yeah, I wish I, I always wonder, there was no Facebooky social media that has brought us together again mm -hmm. yet. So I just assume she's dead. Right? No, no, I hope not. <laughs> like, where is she? And who farted in the park? I don't know. Only Singia knows. Jeez. Right? She's probably like, how bad would it be if she was like dead? Like, I went to like Facebook or something, she's actually dead. And she went to the grave with that secret. Yeah. Uh, I, if she is dead, I would love for her ghost to haunt me by saying, oh, somebody farted. I want her to hope. That's amazing. Right. <laughs> but she I, was a good friend. I remember my first friend, I met her in first grade and her name was Heidi. We're still friends. Mm. And I remember this photo of the two of us holding hands in front of a, of a row of tulips uh, on the side of our house. Mm. And just the look on our faces, we were beaming. Like mm -hmm. we, we found each other. Mm -hmm. Like we were so happy. Mm -hmm. But you're still friends with Heidi. We yeah. can say her name, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does she remember the moment or the photo? 
I actually, not that long ago, just was asking her if she had it, but my mom had it and I think she, you know, lost it or or threw it out or something. I think longevity is important with people and like friendships because they, you can either like hold people ransom for information. (laughs) (laughs) You can totally blackmail people after a few decades, right? Yeah. But you know what too, like friends don't hold hands. Adults don't hold hands in photos and unless one of them is a beard. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a photo op right? very hollywood exactly yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's some, suddenly they're holding hands like yeah. at the grocery store or in a, in a snowy day in new york city if you see two adults holding hands in public they are feigning heterosexuality <laughs> yeah, yeah that, it's it's a total ruse yeah. and i well, unless you're super old yeah. And at that point, I think you're just holding on to each other for balance. Right? Yeah, that could yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> it's, more, it's more of a medical condition than it is like love and support. Yeah. Uh, I, that's the thing. It's like, because I have like tons of photos of old friends. It's like one of those things where it's like you see a baby at like a social gathering and everybody holds the baby. Mm-hmm. And you think that baby's never going to see half those people ever again in their fucking life. Like who held you? Who held me? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you have all these kids that get in your head, like your friends when you're a kid and the influence they have, and then you never see those people again. Mm-hmm. Like Zingia. Yeah. Like I can, it, for, from since then, anytime I hear someone say the word fart without rolling the R, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound right. I'm still friends with my, my, the first friend, my first friend that I made. <laughs> the tulip Heidi. friend? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, we... Went to our, our 20th high school reunion, which wasn't that recent, yeah, okay. sadly. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the funny thing was when we were there, I thought, well, I knew I had been on TV more than the 210 people in my class, right? <laughs> like I thought I would get some kind of special attention or, sure. little, or somebody. You have you know, to be I, the I most I felt like I was person. kind of like triumphantly returning, if you will. Absolutely. Because I was a, you know, a couple You're of a school players. At the, you know, this banquet room, like it was in a Holiday Inn and, mm. and you know, it was a buffet and really, you know, just cheesy, whatever. Mm. Just ch- everything was, you know, cheap and whatever. So I was sitting with Heidi I w- and then the gay kid that I went to the prom with, oh, of course. you were his, mm. mm-hmm. he. I have a friend like you. Yeah, he said. <laughs> was he gay then? I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Yeah, he, he was. He was, but I didn't know that. And then he sat at the table. And then these two other women who looked familiar sat at our table. And then I looked around and all the other tables were packed with the jocks and the cheerleaders. Mm. Some of them married each other. And then I realized the two other girls were the shy girls that were also never picked for basketball with me. Tall couldn't get you picked? No. And I said to Heidi, oh my God, we're still at the unpopular table. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was just like amazed. Like (laughs) Nothing has changed. Yeah. I've avoided that. I've avoided high school reunion. I haven't avoided, but I haven't flown home Mm -hmm. for it because I thought I very much felt that was going to be the same thing. And I was like, I don't want to be rejected by the same people that rejected me. Like, <sighs> I don't want that. I know. And it's so, such a shitty feeling because I think at some point when you're growing up and, and if there are people who are, you know, brutalizing you or, mm-hmm. or making fun of you, mm-hmm. whatever you think. Brutalizing is a good yeah. word. And you think someday I'm going to show them. Yeah. But you won't because they're <gasps> they going to be the same. Ca- yes. They're that's not, the they're, you know, you were weird then uh-huh. and you're actually now that you've, you've made been it. a bit of a success, yeah. you're weirder now. Well, and they that becomes more resentful there's like a yeah yeah, it would be it would only yeah there's kind of no way to satisfy that it can be good motivation for you to try to make something whatever that something could be of your life but yeah i i recognize that too there's a like if there's going to be an asshole whoever says you know i was wrong about that person that's never never gonna gonna happen happen. it's (laughs) never gonna happen we always swore we would only go to our high school reunions if we could literally bring sharon stone with us and then we would do rails of coke off her tits in the bathrooms because we wanted people if we were going to be a mess we want to be a mess (laughs) like we wanted people to be like did you see daniel at the reunion he was doing cocaine off of sharon stone said what a nightmare you know what i mean like and the same resentful like he's always been weird yeah (laughs) but let's fucking be Weird. Oh, that, yeah, that, I have never and still would never aim that high. <laughs> I mean, not to insinuate that Sharon Stone is a coke dealer or doer or would let a, a homosexual man inhale narcotics off of her decolletage. But all those things sound fun. Yeah. Right? And yeah. in front of all the people you've been trying to impress for the last 20 years, if, yeah. that, if, this, if nothing worked, this will. <laughs> like <laughs> The only thing that could be possibly be a little bit better then that would be to have Stevie Nicks Uh. ground into a powder and then (laughs) snort her up your nose. (laughs) 
when did you come out? If you don't mind, would you rather not talk about that? You can ask me. That's fine. Okay. I don't mind talking about it. I'm a woman of a certain age that there was like, you were, it's of a time like last century. If you didn't say anything, you were closeted, right? And then you kind of had to, you were expected to like kind of label yourself. But also at the same time, I was 10 years old and performing as Carmen Miranda, full fruit hat in the talent show. Like what, <laughs> what about that needs to come out of the closet? Do you know what I mean? So there were plenty of clues. But then also <laughs> I kind of made viral news. Uh, I met President Obama a few years ago because being gay is like basically illegal in Texas, right? Like it is not okay still to be fucking gay in Texas or lots of places. And I met Obama. He came into a restaurant where I work at the time. This is pre-Supreme Court okaying gay marriage right uh-huh. and i said equal rights for gay people obama looked at me because it was a weird thing to say at the time and he looks at me and goes are you gay wait where were you i was working at a barbecue restaurant in austin texas and the president was in town everybody oh, knew it okay. uh, it's a small town so when uh, any person's in town it's noticeable so yeah i was just this cashier at a barbecue restaurant and then the president comes in there's all this press there and all these people everybody's freaking out which is fun have you ever met a president no oh well me neither until that but it was it was cool wait did you shoot i, I went to an hrc benefit when i was working on will and grace yeah and i, I there's actually i i met clinton <gasps> president clinton and i have a photo of it and I, we'll put it on my set we should put it, this on our all right on the, yeah what we thought would happen site but anyway, in the photo, you can see Clinton's fingers on my... He gave me a side boob hug. Oh, my gosh. Was he charismatic and all the charming and everything that yes, everybody says? but um, And it was funny. He was with Kevin Spacey. What? Who was oh kind no. of pretending to hit on <laughs> this other female writer. Oh, no. Yeah. That actually is a very interesting, relevant photo these days. Yeah. I it's hard. I, I don't romanticize Clinton for his predatory past and stuff like that. I certainly can separate the two things. But it is fascinating how people... Very JFK, how people will just gloss over that because of the charisma of it mm-hmm. all. Does Kevin Spacey have the same? Yeah, I was more, I, I mean, as far as meeting two famous men or whatever, mm. I was more attracted to Kevin Spacey totally. than Clinton. And the only star that I've met that I felt like, whoa, had just like this aura or something about them mm. uh, was Eddie Murphy. Wild. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, because when you meet, you have met like all kinds of famous people. At what point does a famous person, are they like your friend or you're like, oh, we're colleagues or wait, I'm just a fan. Like, because there's a lot of blurry lines in that territory. Like, it's hard to know who's your friend, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I think I tried to insinuate myself as a friend to, uh, <laughs> can I have your email just yeah. for the, yeah. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. I, I know. Like I mean, I actually, I was a huge fan of Albert Brooks. And so it was like I love the thrill of my life to be in a Curb episode with him. Mm-hmm. And I asked him for his email. Broadcast News is fucking funny. Oh, he's just brilliant. I think Hilarious he's Hilarious movie. Yeah. The scene where Joan Cusack is running down the hall with the live tape and she's smashing into like the water fountain and then like the thing, that movie's way underrated. Yeah, she's incredible. Incredible. Oh, yeah. yeah. What was it like to meet Eddie Murphy? I'm such a star fucker. I love me. I love hearing this stuff. Oh, well. Because I imagine a, he's really short. He's no disrespect. Not. No disrespect. Now it's like I'm, I'm plugging everything. But um, <laughs> I was in um, I was in daddy daycare. Yes. I had a small part and um, the crew came in and they all fist bumped him. And mm. I, I was like kind of next in line to say hello. So mm-hmm. I held my stupid fist out mm. And he was so like charming and so he kind of smiled and goes, I can shake your hand. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, see, that's what I'm saying. You're yeah. a colleague. You're different. Like yeah. you're, you're in that league oh, is what or, I'm saying. But I think it was just like, <clears throat> no, you're a, like a kind of an awkward white jackass. <gasps> oh. Uh, trying, to, <laughs> trying to be cool and, and, and fist bump me. Well, okay. Because when I met Obama and I, I made my stupid joke, he goes, are you gay? And I go, only when I'm having sex, which is a very inappropriate thing to say to the president or anybody really. But it was just some like stock line I'd always had. He laughed really hard and then he raises his hand and like like raises his fist and starts moving toward me. And he actually does say to me in life, he goes, come on, bump me like that. Because I clearly was like, not, I'm the goofy, awkward white person. who's like, I'll shake your hand. Right. Uh, <laughs> that kind of a thing. So he literally had to kind of like give me a cue to be like, come on, like that sort of thing. <laughs> because equally, I, I felt like, I don't know, I was out of place. But the charismatic thing about Clinton, I'm sure it's the same with like Eddie Murphy. Because like Obama like glows. Oh, I would like to meet him. He radiates. And I'm a tall person, but he seemed taller. 
Wow. Which is hard to do. I don't feel smaller than most people. Because you're 6'2? Two? 6'2 two on Grinder, I'm 6'3. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get an intro, you can. I usually say it's, it depends on my mood, but I think I'm 5'9. Well, I, was, I used to wear cowboy boots every day mm-hmm. because I like a heel. Uh, <laughs> and I ever do since, too. Yeah, it's good. But ever since I quit wearing boots, I've lost, I think, a lot of stature within the city. No, <laughs> within the within the community, we are the tallest people in LA. By the way, which is that a benefit? I don't know. Everybody is a miniature. Are out people here. scared of us? Yeah, maybe so. All the actresses out here are five two. Yes, case people don't know. And I had to stand in a ditch next to this woman who's amazing. I'll say it, it was Regina King, ah. and who's also beautiful and and funny. And I had to stand in a ditch next to her because I was so much taller. They can't put her on an apple box. They got to put you in a ditch. You don't put a star on an apple box. Is that, oh, no. Would they put you in a... They put the... Can we find a crawl space? We have a scene with Laura and yeah, Regina. Yeah, exactly. That's so mean. Let's just keep burying her. And you know what? Let's just cut her out altogether. That's what happens at the end. Let's put her down deeper. No deeper. No deeper. Ah, fuck it. Okay. And put the dirt over her. Ah, she's digging the hole herself. She'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I just had, I, I don't audition a lot, but I just did. And I, A, had to audition with a friend, which is awkward. You know, when like you show up with like, I guess a colleague or whatever, but I work so little that we're more friends than I could say colleagues. But this person, she is like a foot and a half shorter than me. I'm tall. It's not her fault. But she's celebrity tall and Mm -hmm. I'm fucking freakish tall. And our scene was just weird because of that, right? We're supposed to be side by side on camera. So we're both looking like I'm looking. (laughs) I'm a fucking periscope. Do you know what I mean? And it was it's like just, you've got a bug on your shoulder. Well, but even worse is it's your friend. So I can't even like act or whatever because it's my buddy and that's throwing me off. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't know. I never work well with friends because all I want to do is like knock off and be friends. Yeah. There was a friend who's a flight attendant and I know him. We're friends. And mm-hmm. then we're on the same flight. He's working. And then what he does is he flies somewhere, hooks up and then comes home. He's got the life. But he was like, I thought maybe when we got to the same time, we would like hang out or see each other or something. Mm-hmm. And no. It was like, oh, we're not friends. We're just... Mm. Yeah, gay colleagues. Oh, well, that's one. I guess that's a good thing about being straight is you're never friends with somebody that you fuck. <laughs> I, I know that. <laughs> I see. I need those kind of lines. I need like, I need things to be black and white like that. I don't need the nebulous. Like, do you want to go to brunch with nine people you fucked and one person you still haven't yet but want to? Like, I can't handle that. <laughs> Because then nobody's eating, right? <laughs> <laughs> nobody's. Everyone's too scared to eat. <laughs> What was the first thing you bought when you first got your allowance or when you had your own money? Oh, did you have, we did have allowance. Did you have allowance? Mm -hmm. Ours was a scam. Our parents thought we got $2 a week. This is in the nineties, right? Like Uh that's still pretty low. (laughs) We got $2 a week. And then the rule was to teach us about savings. Ha ha. Look at me now. Uh, We had to put $1 in the bank. (laughs) So 50% of it immediately went to savings. And then the other dollar that you had that week. I mean, yeah, it was a fucking 90s. What can you buy for a goddamn dollar? (laughs) So it took a while to scrape up. And then I'll tell you what really washed me out was, you know, those like fan magazines, Teen Bop and things Mm -hmm. like that from like the 80s, 90s. I called one of the, um, in the back, they'd had like a 900 number. Mm -hmm. Talk to the stars. Wow. I would give my eye teeth to talk to Paula Abdul. I fucking called the number and racked up like, I don't know, $60 and charged. Well, that's a year's worth of allowance. <laughs> I got busted. Did you talk that. to her? No, it was um, a scam. It was a total scam. Oh, I thought they might have her voice recorded. Not but, even. Uh, not even close. It was a total scam. Anyway, but so that set me back a year. But finally, when I had, I would buy like cassette singles with mm-hmm. my allowance and I would buy comic books um, and like Teen Bot magazines where I would later lose all my money in a telephone pyramid scheme uh, but yeah it was music i buy a lot of music stuff that was um, that was that's very i think that's really cool i mean like th- that you cared about you know music and i had someone had to support paul abdul mariah gary they weren't going to do it alone right you know what would you get i i remember and this was i was probably like first of all what was your allowance and if it's more than mine I, i'm gonna scream i don't remember i think my mom just I don't think I had anything weekly because like my mom didn't have anything w- regular. Right. I mean, she, well, no, she had, she, she was always working hard. She had a job at the phone company and then mm. sometimes she would waitress and then other times she would sleep with my dad. Um, <laughs> and he, seriously, because he wasn't giving her support, he'd have to give her, he'd Damn. give her some money after they slept together. Um, Fuck. So I remember she was getting her hair done and I was probably, I don't know, 
seven or eight. Mm. And she gave me like probably two or three dollars. And I went down to this place, this, which I thought was a really expensive, nice store. It was called Robert Hall. Mm, it I, sounds nice. Yeah. It was so funny because it wasn't Zare, Zare's yeah. and it wasn't uh, what, James Way. You didn't remember? Uh, Did you yeah, have James there, Way's? Stripling and Cox. There's like some store names that like ring bells that sounded very bougie, but were yeah. just not. But yeah. So I knew that the James Way and Zare's, were, they were like for poor people like us. And then, so this was like at the end of the block and it was robert hall and Mm. so i went in and i found this shirt and i was and it was half half price and i was like oh my god this is this is great and i tried it on and i was like i can't believe this is 2.99 and i bought it and then i showed my mom and i was really proud of myself you know for getting this bargain shirt and she said the tag says as is (laughs) and i said oh yeah i saw that and to me, I guess I thought it meant it doesn't come with anything else. Yeah. Like there are there aren't matching pants or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or anything. Yeah. It's just it that stands alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is so stupid. <laughs> no. And then I realized that the back of it, like the the hem, was all kind of crooked yeah. and messed up, and that was the as is part. Yeah. And but I just think of like all the things that I really did. You feel fooled or duped, or was it a, was it wearable? I, it, I I wore it, you know, yeah. um, but I felt stupid. I mean, all the things that I misconstrued as a kid, like I remember too, like at Christmas, we made plates for our parents, like we made a design mm-hmm. and then they, they came back with these kind of plastic plate things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I made a really simple design because I thought, who would want just one plate? I want to, I'm going to have to do this again <laughs> right. so that she has four. <laughs> right. And then when I gave it to my mom, she said, oh, it that's nice. It just looks like something a really little kid would do. But you were thinking really simple. simplistically, you were like, why well, would go through all the trauma of having to do this over and over and over and over again? Taking it easy on her. My cousin Casey, who always had a boyfriend when we were kids, she got dumped. I was really sad about this boy who dumped her. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that word, romantically speaking. Mm-hmm. And so that was like new to me. Flirting and dumping mm-hmm. and getting dumped were like the two words I learned at the same time. But then, you know, like on the roadside, there's a like, no dumping here and stuff like that. I literally thought that those were like zones where you're not allowed to break up with someone. What I pictured was you are not allowed to pull your car over and break up with someone here. I love Because that. you can't just dump them on the side of the road, right? Like you need to pull over to a better area if you're having an emotional moment. That's clever, though. But kids like are that. so literal like that. Like yeah. that's how kids are interpret stuff. So uh-huh. your as is is like you were... You still thought you were following the rules, right? Right. Yeah. I love that because kids are done. I was a stupid kid. Well, I was in the slow class in second grade. I don't even know what they would call that now. Sure. Better luck next year. <laughs> Somebody's got to protect the president. So what, is it, <laughs> what, what does that mean though, that they you were in a separate class? or Yeah, like, the, I guess remedial is what mm-hmm, they would call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I wasn't doing well in first grade with uh, homework. I wasn't doing homework. I wasn't doing anything well. And I just wasn't getting enough attention. So I think that I... I was always in the smart math class, which is ridiculous because I'm awful at math and always had horrible grades. But I think because I was like tall and might have been confident. Mm-hmm. I have no clue why I was ever put into that whatever because everything else maybe, but like I did not shine mathematically. I loved being in the slow class because that was like sort of not necessarily a Lord of the Flies situation, but I, w- I was definitely, I was sailing through it and I thought, this is great. I have no homework. I love it here. That's and the kids kind of looked up to me. Right. Yeah. I see. I think I needed that. Like I was, I was sinking in a sea of all these overachievers. Like, that's what I mean. I needed to be the star because when I wasn't the star in the math class, I didn't give a fuck. So I wasn't trying. Yeah. Well, I still blame my mom for that because she told me that one time she's rushing and I had really curly hair. I had like an afro. Mm. Oh, uh, that's cute. And um, she was rushing, broke a comb in my hair <laughs> and just left it in the back. And what? I didn't even know. Yeah. And so, yeah, maybe I started, maybe I started a trend actually. Because this is, you know, say. late 70s. Uh-huh. And, uh, but I th- they probably thought, well, she can't. 
This girl um, can't even brush her hair. Get, yeah, and she does, can't even do. Brush We're trying her hair. to put a pen and pencil in her hair, <laughs> in her hand. It took me, I, but also it took me forever to tell time. No, Laura, we are related. Okay, this was the hardest thing for me. My fucking <laughs> third grade teacher, and she's dead, and I'm glad of it. She, on the way out, third grade, right, she gave me each kid a hug. And the last thing she said was, she I'll never forget, she shook me by the shoulders. And she goes, learn time! Because I could not understand for the life of me that it wasn't a hundred. Like an hour was not the number 100, right? Because <laughs> that was like the measure for everything, right? A hundred to a thousand, everything was in those like increments of a hundred. So to stop at 60 made zero fucking sense. So even I will never forget, there was the like worksheet with all the clocks uh-huh. and it would be like, it's nine o'clock, <gasps> put it on the right, show where mm-hmm. the hands are and all that kind of stuff. And I would just leave them blank because there was no 100. <laughs> You know what I mean? I just thought they were all trick questions or something like that. Couldn't, I I thought it was a game or something. I never could tell time. That was a block. I always suspected it. And then I went to a psychiatrist and he said, yeah, you have attention deficit disorder. Uh But then I just thought, I kind of wish I didn't know that because now it's like an excuse to be rude. (laughs) Okay, maybe I do want this. I want a hall pass. Like, (laughs) I want a a clearance on that. Because, okay, I need to go to a psychiatrist. That's who diagnoses you. Mm -hmm. Or a therapist. I notice this. The older I get, the more people ask if I'm in therapy. (laughs) It was not a normal question. And now it is a normal question. So, like, now I'm getting, yes, I'm getting referrals. Thank you very much. But yeah, I would love a diagnosis. Yeah. I think that would answer questions, but I do think that there is like a privilege you get when you find it, you're like, oh, that's why I am the way I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> An excuse not to change. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that is one of the, one of my favorite lines about not being in therapy is like, <laughs> well, I'm a fucking narcissist. So like, I, I, all I, I'm all I think about. So yeah, <laughs> I'm reflective all the time. I'm evaluative and analytical of myself all the fucking time. I love to give advice. Even if it's bad. Uh, hey, what's the, by the way, what's the worst and the best, or if you have worst and best hmm. advice you've been given as a stand-up? In real life, I don't think a stand-up has ever actually given me like advice advice mm-hmm. that direct. Comedy's so competitive. Yeah. But my two friends, Ralphie and Mike, they're gay guys down in Austin. One's a comic, one's a performer and a producer and a writer, but he's not a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Both of them separately are the ones who told me to start stand-up. Oh, great. And so I think that was probably the best, I mean, obviously the best advice, but because they were performers and comedians and I know how competitive and kind of non-inclusive that is. So yeah, I would say that slash there's this brilliant Phyllis Diller interview with Roseanne where Phyllis Diller says some old comic, I forget the name, talked about how to introduce yourself to an audience, right? Which is what you're forever doing as a new comic, right? Until you get to a certain point, you're always having to introduce yourself for years. And the advice was tell five hot jokes and keep going, which is a perfect formula. Yeah, Uh, it totally works. And so that is what I've done since day one. But I was lucky enough to meet Phyllis Stiller through this (sighs) friend of mine, Henriette. Phyllis wanted, it was her 92nd birthday and she just wanted to have like a few female comics. Unreal. So my friend Henriette Mantel and a, a few other female writer comics. Ooh, who, who, who? I'm obsessed You know, with I Phyllis actually Schiller. didn't know who they were. Yeah. Um, Did you, this was at her house? Yeah. And yeah. Where was she? Was she in the hills? No, she's more like, she was Brentwood. There was a huge painting of Bob Hope when you walked in. Oh my God, are you serious? That she did? No, no, no. Like a professional. It was on an easel because that was the love of her life. Right. And and anyway, we we all had drinks. Martinis? What did she drink? I'm so nosy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We had martinis and she had a, a, a butler bringing out martinis on like the silver tray. And I was like, this, I'm in heaven. Yes. And, um, oh, I'm so, jealous. so we all had martinis and we toasted, and we said, you know, we sang happy birthday. And, we said, and, mm. and I remember saying, and many more. And she said, no, <laughs> not many more. She was real about wanting to die. She, She's so damn funny. There's cool. an interview where she was like, I'm when it's done, it's done. And I think she talked about how her family was not okay with that. She's like, I'm ready. She's like, she had, I think, do not resuscitate. Mm-hmm. Like there's an interview. I forget where, where she's very clear about had a great time. I'm on golden time. Call it. Uh, Which I love. Yeah. I think, she was so fun. Yeah. I think being that close to 100, people feel like kind of push the gusto of making it that far on you. Yeah. And I'm sure at that point, like her, she's like, fucking, fucking no. Yeah. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. I've been pushed. I've been hoard out enough. You were friends with Phyllis Diller. 
Oh no, I I mean I just met her that I mean, one that time. Counts. That but, counts. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I I it was funny. Well, she's just like was so quick too. I drove there mm. and was doing everything but drive when I'm in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was opening, it was yeah. so crazy. I was opening this box in the car on uh-huh. the way there uh-huh. with like a box opener or something that I had in the car, you know, a sharp thing. I cut yeah. myself. <laughs> so I'm standing at the door and my hand is bloody. Uh-huh. It doesn't have anything to do with it. And then she actually answered the door and she said, and saw that my hand was bleeding, like bleeding down to my elbow. Uh, and she said, oh, Henriette, I think one of your friends is here. <laughs> or someone's here and I think it's one of your friends, Henriette. And I, and I was, I was Hen- Henriette. The bloody is, person straight Yeah, the like door. this nut who's at the door with a bloody hand. I love it. That's really special. Yeah. And then another one of Phyllis's friends, uh, who also I think was kind of her, her caretaker. Mm. She was a nurse. Mm-hmm. She took me right into the bathroom and, it, mm. and took care of it. Oh, my God. I have a hundred million questions to ask. She had a night, like a really fine house, right? Like a very nicely yeah, furnished. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. She was, because she was very, she was a lot more stylish than I think people give her credit for because she was so strange looking on stage. Intentionally right. so. Right. Like the wig and everything. Like she did that on purpose. But like she was very chic and very pretty in real life and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Phyllis said that at the funeral, at Bob Hope's funeral, she tried to befriend Dolores, mm-hmm, kind of, mm-hmm. or just say something. Mm-hmm. And Dolores was like, not having it. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she said something like, no, I'd rather not. She was always. So I wonder, was Phyllis like always the, like, was the other woman yeah. in like Bob's life, as I opposed to so. just the many other whatevers that Bob had going on? Yeah. Fascinating. Well, because people forget that he was like, it was Bob and Bing Crosby, for Christ's sake, mm-hmm. being comedy giants for a second. I right, mean, it's 100,000 right. years ago, but they were like kings of funny, attractive men. I know. And it's as what amazes me is like that Bing Crosby was kind of known for like for Christmas albums and stuff, but yeah. he beat his kids. He oh, was he a was complete, a, yeah. a monster, right? Yeah. yeah, a total monster. I think he beat his wives too and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think he's a nice person. Yeah, I think even like he like died on the golf course or something, but I don't, th- I think the story is he was like, like a mean to the caddy that day or some shit. Uh, yeah. I'm only going out to shows and that's the people I see. So it's usually comics and yeah. there's a weird way of making friends with them. It doesn't feel like they're your friends. It's right. like a colleague exchange. Yeah. And then that when your car breaks down, you can't call any of those people for help. <laughs> and then yeah. they're going to use it on stage that your fucking car broke down. And they left you stranded. Like... <laughs> So that's my dilemma in like adulthood, uh, or at least in LA is like, because then I'm just chatting up the CVS cashier and they're like, get the fuck away from me. (laughs) Right? Well, this is like a a classic, what we thought would happen moment. I was (laughs) doing stand up for the first time at Catch a Rising Star in Manhattan. And I was at the bar getting ready to go in, you know, to the main room to do a set. And it was basically an audition, but I remember standing there and seeing all these eight by tens of famous comics like uh, Louis Anderson and Richard Pryor and George Carlin and Pre- and Freddie Prince, and thinking to myself, "Better get used to it. I'm going to be there too mm-hmm. on that wall with my eight by ten. Anyway, so I, when I finally uh, got called into the room, to, there'd probably been about four comics, and it was a a weekend night, which. You should never have auditions on a weekend night. Yeah, right. Yeah, because it's just too crazy. Mm. And everybody was smoking and drunk. And mm. I was about to go on and the club manager, Booker, said, uh, it's going to be another minute. Uh, we'd have a drop-in guest. And I said, okay. And it was Jerry Seinfeld. He went on for 25 minutes. See, why would they do that? I like, know. Don't they see plucky Laura Keitlinger sitting right there? The, and they know what they're doing. Wait a second. Comics are narcissists? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> they don't give a shit about anybody but themselves? I mean, do you remember who was after you? No, but I was like, I wound up being like the, the, I went out right after Jerry Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. And how did that uh, feel? What were you thinking? Oh, it was terrible. Well, I think at the moment I was thinking, well, the, he's really like livened up this crowd. They're going to yeah. love me. <laughs> that was another one no. I thought. And then I went on and ate it. Yeah. And for five but minutes. But when you went on stage, you were like, I got him. This is mine. This is going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I was still nervous, but sure, I just thought. Sure. Okay, now they're this is gonna be easy. Primed, and I got heckled. Like this weird heckles too. It was all the smoke <laughs> and being heckled. This, who are you? Are uh-huh. you are you David Letterman's girlfriend? No. Why are you here? And this, and I, you know, and all my my great like, comeback was no, you know. <laughs> but why wouldn't they like? Also, why wouldn't the audience give you a chance? Like clearly it's hard to recover from someone doing twenty five minutes. I mean, how long were you were supposed to do? Five minutes, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, like, I think uh, they were still kind of getting over him. They gave me yeah. a little bit of a chance. Like there were some. I was gonna say, how long were you on stage? I had timed out a ten minute set, mm-hmm. and then when I was up there, it turned out to be four minutes. I was gonna say, at what point did you? Were you like, oh shit, they hate me, and this is not? Yeah, well, when what it was I turning to hecklers, and I didn't really know what to do with hecklers, and mm-hmm. then you know. Well, it's so hard to, this is like a, I don't think people realize how hard it is to reset the room after like, I mean, I, I like Jerry Seinfeld was a big name and stuff like that, I guess at that point, or even just the time yeah. to do 25 fucking minutes and be like, okay, everybody look at me, like here I am. And they have no clue who you are. Yeah. I don't mean like that, but like, yeah, no, up, well, of it's course uphill. It didn't. Yeah. Yeah, but you are on that wall now though. Like, and you I'm are not. with all those people. Well, maybe not to catch a rising star, but you are in the, in the lore and the legend. You're, oh, you are, no. When you did hags, we were all, all the comics at the back were just in awe. We were stacked at the back, just like watching you like, that's how it's done. Like the whole time. Oh, that's sweet. So similarly, there's a small club in Austin, not the club, but a smaller one. And there's just a rant, like a shitty little open mic on Thursday. Great place to just try time. And one night, not that this is a big deal, but in a small town, like Jeff Ross showed up, but he comes into this open mic. Everyone's all a buzz. And then he goes up. I'm telling you, everyone's doing four minutes and it's the shit bottom of the barrel. Like I'm there too. No one's doing good. He does like 30. And then, of course, there's 14 more of us who are going up to do our crap four minutes to, you know, try to salvage our dignity. <laughs> and I just remember, that, of course, he's killing because he's a movie star to us, right? Yeah, By uh-huh. compare, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, I was like, what fucking nuts ego on this person to try to kill it in this room of all places? Wow. Well, like, so then What you, a weird stroke. You knew a lot about stand-up at that point. To know that, that that wasn't cool. I just knew because I had already done my bit, so I felt off the hook and i remember seeing my friends who were like next on the list and being like i can't believe they have to sit through this i would hate to be sitting through this i also had just heard jeff ross has a really good story on stern about his first roast first Mm -hmm. fire club's roast milton burl and don rickles were there when jeff ross is finally up doing that milton burl is sticking his finger in jeff ross's ribs weird which is super weird yeah and he's just like poking him and to finally he feels like he has to address him like milton what the fuck and then don rickles interrupts and says milton let the kid work you remember what that is work you know, and something like that. Uh-huh. And just kind of let gives him back the power. Uh-huh. So I actually was trying to talk to Jeff Ross about that moment uh-huh. and be like, I think it's crazy you got to work with Milton Burl. Nobody knows who that is. Yeah. And then he went up and hogged up everybody's mic time. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like, fuck. I wish I hadn't tried to cheese your dick for a second, dude. Sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like it's just because I've been around so many comics when they're still you know, just good kids and we're all like trying mm-hmm. and then seeing them, you know, become assholes, most everybody, <laughs> you know, like when they get a little bit of fame or a lot right, of fame and right. it's just like, wow. Yeah. I, it's a... Not that I don't want it for myself. Same. Of course. We all, listen, <laughs> I want the big house looking at the ocean, but yeah. hopefully it'd be nice on the way there sort of a thing. Yeah. yeah. I haven't been in the game that long, but it is interesting once you start seeing people from that trajectory, from like the seed to whatever people bounce around to. Yeah. Because it is sort of like what you, th- like you don't get to pick what's going to happen. Yeah. At least in this game is the lesson I'm learning really fast is like you can have a plan mm-hmm. or a goal mm-hmm. but you're gonna have a really fucked up way of getting there like <laughs> yeah. there's nothing about it that you're ever gonna anticipate right it's, it's interesting i think about i've only been in la for five years i've been doing santa for 10 years i'm like i see a picture of me then i'm like that's look at that shithead he has no idea what he thinks he's doing <laughs> he thinks he knows what he's doing right yeah i'm from fort worth texas uh, and then austin texas so uh, yeah the birthplace of evangelism right i watch the church channel all the time Jimmy the Swag- what channel? The church channel. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart is a piano player. Right. And he's really talented. He's He and his cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, were brought up and taught the same. Anyway, he has a Busendorfer grand piano on his stage in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he asks his church members to tithe. Mm-hmm. And a Busendorfer piano costs $200,000. <laughs> like, it is a house that he plays for a piano. It's like, wow. wow. I mean, in Baton Rouge, that's like 40 houses. When I was eight. I started taking piano lessons and the teacher was married to a minister mm. and I had taken piano lessons from eight to 16 and still I'm not good at it. Uh, but anyway, she would make me pray, like get on my uh, knees and put my elbows on the piano bench uh, and pray with her. 
you know, and she would what? cry. Yeah. And like then before she, the lesson? No, after. And then she'd, because I suck so hard. No. <laughs> Pray that you have some other talent, no, to be, uh, you know, to take, uh, you know, to accept Jesus. And then she would give me the watchtower. And mm. I think from like eight to 10 or so, I felt really bad. Like, yeah, I, I would like to believe I want to. Mm. And then I'd ask my mom to go to church because Mrs. Roman kept asking me to go. And, um, she sounds and, very piano teacher. Yeah, and she, I think she wanted my mom to go too because my mom's like single mom. See, you know, that's what town. I'm talking about. She is backdoor missionarying. Yeah, using the child as the conduit. Yeah, don't you think that's messed up? Yeah, like you were played. I definitely was. She's playing you like a piano. I know, and I, <laughs> I felt guilty too. And then around, I think probably twelve or thirteen, just being tall and flat and having acne, I realized there was no God. And I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not going to even pretend for her. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take much. It didn't take much time. I had this aunt that I loved and I just liked hanging and my uncle too. Like I like hanging out with them. And somewhere in the like nineties ish, she just started going to church a lot. And it was one of those like I think this really sprung up in the nineties, like a rock and roll church um, where there's like a band mm-hmm. and they have like maybe some multimedia on the stage and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like a new construction church kind of thing but i truly just liked her company i just mm-hmm. liked going to hang out with my aunt nothing to do with like the lesson but it was similarly it was kind of before i was like sure about my queerness and i'm sitting there in north texas and there was a guest preacher and i literally sat through a there's a war out there against homosexuals and that's when i was like mm, i don't like this oh. guy but then the very next thing out of his mouth was there's a war out there against marilyn manson i was like this is fucking hilarious oh <laughs> like, wow if I'm in the same category as Marilyn Manson, let's go. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, that, this can't be real. Because um, everybody else was taking it so seriously. How was the music? Uh, uh, ghastly. Are you kidding me? I hate Christian rock or of any kind or any kind of electric Christian music because they can never get away from the lyrics that are mountains, glory, high, right? It's never. <laughs> that's it. You're always singing yeah. on some big old high mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I hate Christian music. Sorry, dad. <laughs> yeah. I guess I associate country music with Christian music, but it isn't always. And I think there's some amazing country music. Well, so like I never made friends at church, like Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. I never, I had friends there, but they were usually from school or outside, but I never took like life from church out of that. Uh Um, And I find that country music is sort of the same. It has this weird, you mistake it for being friendly, Uh but then, oops, the whole audience is full of bigots. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, look what they did to the Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Like they dragged them through the mud for saying nothing. It's really sad, you know, when comics die, but it's worse when musicians die. And here's why. Why? It's because you don't lose your virginity to a comedy. (laughs) Unless you're like a weird fuck. Oh, we lost. (laughs) Run screaming if you lose your virginity to a (laughs) comedy. We we lost it to Steve Martin's Let's Get Small, and he got small. That's hysterical. There's no sentimentality of losing a comic because you never fucked to that. Oh, my God. You know, that is another what we thought would happen. <laughs> Not to be so obvious about it, but no, when, people, it. when people start, you know, in this business, you know, to become an actor or, mm. or musician or anything, you know, in, in the performing arts, if I could. Mm. Be so bold. Up, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's an art. Is it? Okay. It's an art. Um, you think, oh, okay, I'll... I'll get on this show or do this mm. but what it is really for most of us is it's being unemployed and looking for a job you're always looking for another job yeah, another it, gig yeah no i was yeah. fucking sweeping floors for years i mean i'm really impressed with how not just intuitive you were but just that you know that you were curious about culture and cool things and cool music because i said to stay with my cousins when i was a kid I was brought up on such shitty music. Like, <laughs> like what? Like Molly Hatchet and <laughs> uh, Leonard Skinner. Like we all had Leonard Skinner on our notebooks. We didn't even know what it meant. I didn't right. know what it meant. And, oh, these are in the Jamestown days. Yeah, oh, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Uh, so you were just kind of like white rock yeah. by default. I guess ACDC a little. Oh, yeah. I mean, not that any of these bands are, are bad. It's yeah. just like, but it was really, yeah. Really, demographic. To be like trash rock, I guess, or whatever. Sure, these yeah. days particularly. Uh, government cheese rock is what I call it. <laughs> yes. 
I don't because I was only exposed to like what my family listened to, which was either like they would always do. There was a lot of Enya. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, for some reason that was really strong in the family. I mean, my dad was huge in Barbra Streisand, Shades of Gay. <laughs> or Elton John that was it their like record collection was only Elton John and fucking Barbara Streisand which are I would call red flags I'm right? still thinking like I don't remember that album Shades of Gay by Barbara Streisand <laughs> she's sure yet to put one. it out that bitch has what, one left dinner I guess yeah. I wanna yeah I'm not much into like I want to know where famous people live, but because she's in Malibu, I want to know where she lives. Oh, I know. Well, they call that the Barbara Streisand effect. Do you know about that? What? The realtors, because she made such a big deal about having her property enclosed mm. so that for privacy, mm-hmm. that then everybody knew where it was. Then she, by, by doing that, people, so many people found out where she lived. That's hilarious. Yeah, and they called that the, the Streisand Ugh, effect. That's funny. I don't know, I'm reading this book about the Romanovs mm-hmm. and like 200 years of the Romanovs. They were just fucking left, right, and center, not in an session, but they were just these royals who were having all kinds of orgy stuff. Meanwhile, using the, the, you know, they were all sanctified by the Lord, right? Everybody, right. the Jesus, whatever, God yeah. Chose them, so the the people were scared because of religion. Meanwhile, they were fucking breaking all the rules, right. which I think Hollywood is sort of that for us. Yeah, well, I'm always amazed too when people, you know, are into the ancestry stuff, and they, you know, they're secretly hoping that they're, you know, they have royal blood, right? But the royals are more inbred than pugs. Yes, <laughs> I'm surprised their eyes don't fall out of this. I know it's like there there's five families. Yes, start, yeah. I've read, there's this really brilliant, but I'm obsessed with the Romanovs and the Rasputin and all that kind of stuff. But one of the foremost books is old. It's called, uh, it's called Nicholas and Alexander. I forget the, the author. Um, but the book shows a family tree. The first page of it is the family tree of World War One. All the royals in Europe, and it's the that's like everyone in charge is connected to the tree. Yeah, and they yeah, they're all related to mm-hmm. um, King George or King George III. Or but whatever. they literally yeah. all like it's and the way they cat because it's all based on their journals and their letters and stuff to each other is that they are all brokering marriages through with cousins for money and and power. Like that's straight up what's going on. Like keep mm-hmm. it in the family, and we'll, we can fuck. On my grandmother's side of the family, through marriage, not blood related to us, but her father died in a plane crash and her her mother married another man. Those people were married cousins and had kids. And it's like, that shit goes down, poor or not. It's like fascinating. But rich people want to keep the money and they'll do literally anything to keep it in the family. Oh, I know. Have you seen A New Leaf? No, what is that? my favorite comedy it's with walter matthau elaine may who's brilliant 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 she wrote it and she's in it oh and i can kind of do a little that never happens of her in that of elaine may yeah what is it henry i think you should think about teaching i think you would really enjoy it people also forget how handsome walter matthau was back in the day i know what about you know um i'm sure you've seen a face in the crowd no, I'm telling you, I have blind spot. I'm a Walter Matha was in a face in the crowd <laughs> with uh, Andy Griffith. Okay, who was really handsome, handsome in pictures sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, I mean, he has Ronald Reagan then. syndrome, where you're like, mm, kinda. But that's an amazing, amazing movie. A face in the crowd. You have to see it. I think it's the oh, I'm dumb. Like that makes him not sexy to me. Right. Even though I know that's not how he was in real life. Yeah, he was very smart. I mean, Face he's in the, the crowd. One, I think when he did his show and he, he found Don Knotts, he just said, well, I guess I'm going to be the straight man in this and he's going to mm. be you know, the star, basically, because he's so funny, Don Knotts. This can be... But they a, were real friends, I guess, too. I mean, they're no, friends, I, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, Okay, this is this might be too nerdy. You don't have to talk about this. Uh, but, okay, I know for a fact she's talked about it in interviews that the, the character Jackie, Laurie Metcalf, yeah. was slowly styled after Don Knotts. Oh. Eventually, like, making her a cop. And then, like, she met with him and had lunch with him and stuff. But Roseanne oh, is talking amazing. about, like, you notice as the seasons progress that she gets more bug-eyed and way more cartoonish in her reactions and oh. very Don Knotts adjacent. Whereas early Jackie seasons one, two, three, four-ish, she's a little bit more conservative and less cartoonish. But, like, the making her of a cop, her kind of, her problems with authority uh-huh. and never being respected and always wanting it, those were, like, the chip on the shoulder oh. were all, like, a Don Knotts nod. 
which I love. Like on Laurie Metcalf, that I, I always thought because you notice she's by season nine. I forget your era on that show, but like by season nine, she's way goofy. Yeah, I forget it too. <laughs> that seems to be the resounding feel, but that might be I might be reading too much into that. If you could tell me what Jackie's hair looked like, I could tell you what season it was. Um, that is the gayest thing I've ever heard. I tell you. Well, that's one of my favorite shows. I know Roseanne's racist and has been canceled and the Trump support is fucking unforgivable, yeah. but whatever. But the show in the 90s was p- pivotal. It spoke to people. It spoke for poor people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a racially integrated show. Writing on that show was so much fun because there were so many writers. We were all in separate. It was like eight comics mm-hmm. in a room. Mm. We were responsible for each of us was like responsible for two jokes for the whole day. Wild. Yeah. Basically. Because that's a high pressure show because you're working for a comic. Mm -hmm. And I think she's known for like annihilating scripts or trying to. In her defense, she gives everybody a chance. Yeah. I think. Or she did, you know. And so then if somebody was like nice to her who who was sweeping outside or whatever, she'd give them a job and Mm. then be then have to fire them because they didn't know what they were doing. Oh, yeah. And and one and, and also Tom Arnold was really nice. Like he helped hire some of the writers. And I found out that the writer who was like the head of our room mm-hmm. was a bartender where they're from. I forgot where they're from. He's like Idaho or some shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was funny, but it was like, you know, he, he was giving all his friends. Yeah. yeah. Well, this was fun. I know. I like talking to you. I'm so glad. I know. I'm glad I'm getting to to know you and other people. I need to go out more, but I need to go out more with a microphone in my face. Yeah, because we can't can't just have like a natural, like intimate or uh, like a real friendship without it being documented. Totally. Well, yeah, we're New Century. Look at us being all New Century. Well, this is fun. I like talking to you. I know. I do too. What do we have to do? Now we have to do everything together. I know. I Um, know. We have a list. You have movies I need to watch. Yes. And then... Guys, we both need to fuck. Old movie stars we need to think about. Yeah. And um, just like, I I really appreciate it when friends help me do things around the house. Like, I, I want to wallpaper the bathroom and I don't know how. <laughs> I love that you've cajoled me into a long conversation at lunch and now you're bringing up the labor. <laughs> After all of this, I knew there was something else going on. It's always a catch, right? <laughs> Is it, I, I wondered what that canvas all and those, oh, that one piece dicky suit was doing hanging in the phone. <laughs> Is that why those coveralls are hanging there? Uh, I look good in coveralls. I'm sure you do. Well, I need a waistline. Oh. Who doesn't? Oof, I know. <laughs> well, let's do this more. Thank you. Hopefully, I know. they'll listen to us more. Yeah, yeah. I, that, I, I feel like the, what I think is going to happen <laughs> <laughs> is we'll be doing like you know big theaters yeah. all over the world. Well, that's what we thought would happen. 